Last week we looked at love, and really that um, that first one sort of overarches and, and covers and encourages all the rest of the fruit. But I'm going to tell you a joke first. Ha ha, ha It's a joke, okay? A middle-aged woman has a heart attack and is taken to the hospital. Not yet. <laughs> While on the operating table, she has a near-death experience. During that experience, she sees God and asks, is this it? Is this my time? And God says, no, and explains that she has another 30 years to live. Upon her recovery, she decides to stay in hospital and have a facelift, liposuction, breast reduction, tummy tuck, etc., etc. She even has someone come in and change the color of her hair. She figures since she's got another 30 years, she might as well make the most of it. Clever. She walks out of the hospital after the last operation and is killed by an ambulance speeding by. <laughs> she arrives in front of God and complains, I thought you said I had another 30 years. And God replies, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I knew it'd get you laughing. <laughs> Neil's just shaking his head in like, really? Did you have to say that joke? Anyway, just thought I'd start off with that for no other reason than I thought it was a funny joke. So, um, the text we're going to look at is Galatians 5, 22, 23, but I am going to be sort of flitting around the Bible a little bit, if that's okay, if I have permission to do that. Um, so, just stay with me. And if, you, if you're taking notes, then, yeah, just stay with me. Do you remember Alan last week? For those of you who are here, we've had a gentleman called Alan who's been on sabbatical, uh, an Anglican minister who has been hanging around with us for a while. And last week was his last week, and he came to say goodbye. And I asked him, what is the one thing that you can say about us as a church that you will take with you? And he said, joy. He said, we are a church that's full of joy. That's you. Isn't that excellent? That somebody just comes and observes us and, and just says, do you know what, guys? You're full of joy. That's encouraging as a church in a community, that they see that because we, we express that through ourselves to our communities. So joy was important to Jesus, important enough for him to tell his disciples that they'd have it. And it would be something that would never be taken away from them. Important enough for the disciples to be reminded. Important this morning for you to be reminded that deposited in you is joy. And I know sometimes that joy is difficult. So I, to please hold that as I do this this morning. We're carrying this joy. They were carrying this joy as a mark of whom they belong to. Whatever context they find themselves in, whether good or bad. And remember, the disciples went on to be beheaded and hung and, and all sorts of stuff. But they carried the presence of the Holy Spirit and they carried joy with them. John 15, Jesus says this, John 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy, your joy this morning, my joy may be full. 
John 16, 22, he says this. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. But this is, this is excellent. And no one will take your joy from you. No one can take your joy. John 17, he goes on to say this. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they, to, to the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Could you imagine what the height would look like or where you live if everybody showed that on their faces? It would be a completely different atmosphere. I was walking down um, towards um, Bev's the other day and there was a, a guy coming towards me and sometimes I do walk like this just to get somewhere but I thought, no, I'll lift my head up and see who's around me and this guy come walking towards me and I just said, good evening and he looked at me like I was a fruit loop and, and it's like that can stop me doing it again but it won't because I'm stubborn and I want to bring something of the joy of God to people, even just passing, going out or wherever. And I, you know, I do thank God. And I was going to say that earlier for over the years, he's placed people in my life that were full of joy. I lived with this um, uh, Irish woman called Debbie at college. We shared a flat, me, her and Gemma. Well, the woman in the morning was like a flipping Tasmanian going around the house singing and jumping. And I'm like, shut up. But do you know what? For three years, she injected joy into me. Three years of joy. And it changed me. And it allowed me then. And it gave me permission to be full of joy. She was brilliant. They were like, she was a joy facilitator, a life enhancer who taught me to laugh at myself, to take life and even church a little less seriously, to desire God more intensely, and to enjoy my walk with him. She'd mastered the art of joy. And it wasn't just a smile on her face. It came and still does come from within her. She's amazing. She regularly mastered the art of joy and told it to her face. You know, sometimes it's difficult to smile. And I totally get that. But we can. We still can. We need to have people around us, don't we? That those, those Christians, those other people who spend a bit of time with us, their joy rubs off on us. Their joy for life, their joy for each other can rub off. We're lifted by their company. They put a smile on our faces in the middle of a storm. It's not that they make a joke out of life. It's just that they're the first to recognize the joke that's there. Neil's really good at this. He's really good, and you'll all have been on the end of it. He's really good at breaking in to something that's really dark and saying something funny. In a nice way, Neil. I'm being encouraging to you now because of this. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you have. But you carry a joy that helps other people and releases some of that darkness that they feel. And you see what God's giving instead of what he's not and what God's saying and what he's not to us. Some days, I don't know about you, but I wake up and I have not got a joyful heart. I wake up quite miserable. Not every day, 
because just don't. But some days are really difficult, and you'll have them. There's a sense in which sometimes we can resign ourselves to thinking that we're never going to get everlasting joy. We're just not going to. And you look at other people and think, why have they got it? How come they've got it? And I can't even muster up an ounce. We listen sometimes to the whispers that say life's never going to turn out the way we hoped it would. That's oppressive. And that dulls our joy. Nobody's going to come through, even to the point that God has abandoned me. He's gone quiet. And joy seems to, what you've got, dribble away. Galatians 22, Galatians 5, sorry, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you were here last week for the all-age service, we sang it. How many have remembered it? Sorry, Ian. (laughs) But joy, when I've looked at all these, joy for me, it's quite an, an elusive fruit. And it's not particularly popular. I go into some churches and it's not popular in them either. And it's like something of the world has squeezed that word out of us, you know? You see, the problem is, I think sometimes we tend to equate happiness with joy. And it's not the same. They're two totally different ideas. And they spring from a different source. One comes from the world around me. The other originates where? From the spirit of the living God. Happiness is conditioned by and mostly dependent on what's happening around us. We can feel happy. And if people treat me well or, or if things are going well in my life, then I'm a happy woman. If my circumstances aren't favorable, then I'm unhappy. And we live a lot like that. Someone said this. Joy, on the other hand, throbs throughout scripture as a profound, compelling quality of life that transcends the events and disasters which may rob God's people. Joy is a divine dimension of living that is not shackled by circumstances. The actual Hebrew word means to leap or spin around with pleasure. I haven't done that for a long time. But in my heart, I have. In my heart, I can do that. To have the fruit of joy ripen in our lives is to recognize the journey involved in getting there. Because it's not something that we wake up one day and go, how do we do this? It's something that's already within us. The spirit of God who dwells. But we have to recognize the journey in getting there. It takes time It takes diligence, it takes patience and hard work to make a grapevine produce grapes. It's a long, long process. Fruit is not instantaneous because it has to overcome weather, bugs, weeds, poor soil, slugs in my garden and neglect. And likewise, in our journey to joy, we're faced with waves of apathy and current pessimism. Look at the air crash um, that happened in the week. Um, somebody tweeted, twittered, not really sure what the appropriate word is. And, and there were pictures step by step of how it happened. I don't want to see that. I really don't want to involve 
and engrossed myself in looking at all the detail. That made me quite pessimistic during the week to see a, a, an aeroplane strewn across fields and the dead lying there for days. I was like, oh, come on. These are human beings, you know? And for a little while, I sat with it and it just made me really feel down, if I'm honest. The deluge of doubt and the waterfalls of despair. But there's no way that we can manufacture this fruit on our own. We can't. Galatians 4, Paul says to his church, what has happened to all your joy? Where's it gone, guys? What's happened to you? And for them, it was outside influences who'd started to rob false teachers, questioning this freedom that God had given them. Today, same question, if you're in that place. What has happened to your joy? Where's it gone? Who's robbed it? Who have you allowed to rob that joy within you? What is it? Is it ill health, grief, doubt, relationship breakdown? William Barclay uh, said this, a gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms and nothing in all religious history has done Christianity more harm than its connection with black clothes and long faces. That is the last thing that we want our communities to see, isn't it? It's the last thing we want our f the folks that we sit next to at work. That's the last thing we want them to see. What we want them to see is a disciple of Christ joyful. And I don't mean sitting there with a smile on your face, but carrying joy. It rubs off on people. The spirit rests with people who see us like that. There are plenty of scriptures to remind us um, that we'll be hard pressed by external circumstances. But one of the biggest things to rob or give joy, I think, is found in relationships with each other. We can give joy to each other or we can rob it. Paul refers to this a lot in his letters about relationship. Our lives reflect the glory of God in our relationship with one another. They reflect, the that's a big thing to carry, isn't it? When relationships break down or run into trouble, we struggle to carry the weight of it. And sometimes the outcome can be that we let our joy dribble away. It's difficult. We cover it with pain and unforgiveness. Our joy evaporates when we fall out with people. We take offense or anger drains our joy away. One of the biggest causes of unhappiness in our world is relationship breakdown. There is the highest rate of divorce at the moment that we've ever experienced. Relationship breakdown. Families who are um, dispersing all over the country to get as far away as they can from each other. Friendships that people have had for years and they're fractured and they're never the same again. The Bible says that love keeps no record of wrongs. And it's that sense that sometimes, and I've done this, I itemize what they've done to me. It's not just that they've hurt me, I make sure that I bullet point it. And you've hurt me because of this, 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 and this. Paul recognized the link between joy and unity. He said this, then make my joy complete 
by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. The fact is that God has made us to have relationships with each other, with our families, etc., etc. Conflict kills joy, and there's a daily struggle to live in a world where there is no conflict. When, whether it be nation against nation or family member against family member, to live conflict-free is a struggle. And I don't think it will ever happen until this new world comes and Jesus returns. But while we're here, let's do it. Let's make sure our relationships are healed with one another, with your family members. And sometimes that is really difficult because the other person doesn't want to heal that relationship. Then you just be who God has called you to be. You offer forgiveness. You ask for forgiveness. All the stuff that we already know. I know when I've been mean because the spirit of God convicts me and I ache inside and I'm not a good carrier of guilt I just struggle to carry it and so I have to make that right as quick as possible but then there are times when I've fallen out with someone and it's not it's not the, it's not the right time to repair the situation or the relationship the thing is it not only affects our relationships with each other, but it affects our relationship with God when we have relationship breakdown. It's a two-way thing. So when I've gone through a season of upset or hurt or somebody has sinned against me, then my relationship with God falters when actually that's the person I should go to first. And everything feels dark. For some of us today, there is still a deep-rooted grieving for what we had and lost. Whether that's through death or relationship breakdown, it bruises us and it changes us forever. But God's care and compassion moves in and encourages us to press into him. And tears are really welcome because once they start to dry up, then joy does come. It comes if we let it. The Spirit produces character traits, not specific actions. We can't go out and do joy. That's, that's true. We just can't go out and do joy. And if we try it, it'll last for an hour or two hours or three hours or however long you can practice at it. If we desire it to develop in our lives, we must recognize that firstly, it's found in Jesus. He's our touch point. It's the spirit of God then living within us because we can't do it on our own. Hebrews 12 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If he knew it, then he knows us. If he knew 
that he was weary. He knows us. And when we're weary with it all. But then Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This verse does not tell us only to be joyful in the good times, but to be joyful always, no matter what comes our way. Through every season of temptation, through every season of um, relationship breakdown. And sometimes our joy is robbed simply because of the mundane life that you feel you live. That work is boring, I'm still single, I'm still married. That took a minute. My son, my daughter, my grandchildren, etc., etc. But thankfully, we have the word of God that leads and guides and helps us to find this joy. And the really difficult thing, folks, is that that is a command from God. That's not an option. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It is a command. We can still have joy in the worst of times. So let me read you this. Joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It's a consequence of it. It's not what we have to acquire in order to experience life in Christ. It is what comes to us when we are walking the way of faith and obedience. We come to God because none of us have it within ourselves except momentarily to be joyous. Joy is a product of abundance. It is the overflow of vitality. It is life working together harmoniously. It is exuberance. Inadequate sinners as we are, none of us can manage that for very long. We try to get it through entertainment. We pay someone to make jokes, tell stories, perform dramatic actions, sing songs. We bury the vitality of another's imagination to divert and enliven our own poor lives. The enormous entertainment industry in this land is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. That's true, isn't it? There's everything out there, everything we want, and yet that still does not bring joy to people because it's, it's limitless. Society is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court jester to divert it after an overindulgent meal. This is Eugene Peterson. But that kind of joy never penetrates our lives, never changes our basic constitution. The effects are extremely temporary, a few minutes, a few hours, a few days. But there is something we can do. We can decide to live in response to the abundance of God and not under the dictatorship of our own poor needs. And he finishes with this. One of the certain consequences of such a life is joy. It's joy. It's really simple, folks, to be honest. We need to stay close to the source, and that is the Spirit of God within us. We need to stay close. We need to remember Seasons come and go, but joy remains. It can remain, but it is a choice. Joy is a decision and a really brave one about how you are going to respond to life. The onus is on us. So I finish 
with this. Practice intimacy with Jesus. Be very, very grateful for what you've got today. There's a thing on Facebook at the moment, and people are putting three things every day that they are grateful for. If you're on Facebook, let's start it. Let's do it. Let's remember what we're grateful for. Joy comes because of what we've got, what God has blessed us with. Walk in obedience. Sometimes when we take our eyes off Jesus, when we take our eyes off the word of God, joy stays. Joy, joy is lacking, sorry. Because we forget what the word of God says to us about it. We forget what Jesus said. We forget what Paul said. Forgive quickly and build healthy relationships. I am so glad that Alan said we were a church full of joy. So today, this is your choice. I choose joy. Remembering where the source is and where it comes from. Not because of the situation that you find yourself in. Let's pray. And then we'll go to communion. Thank you, Father, that we've been reminded this morning that our names are written on your hand and that you know us intimately. There is nothing that you don't know about us. But what we know about you, God, is that you love us, that you are faithful, you are committed and consistent towards us with your love and with your grace and with your mercy. And so we ask this morning, King Jesus, can we have your spirit again to fill us afresh? To remove the obstacles that are in the way of that joy? Would you come and help us, God? But today, before you, Father, we choose joy over all of the circumstances. Help us, Holy Spirit. This week, wherever we are, to be those people of joy, radiating, just radiating your gospel of truth to them. In the workplace, God, where things are difficult, may we still be people, temples of joy. In the shop, in the street, in our families, God. Help us with our relationships, Lord Jesus that they may reflect your glory. For we ask it in your precious name. Amen.